You are listening to the District Church Podcast. To learn more about us, find us online at districtchurch.org. Our scripture comes from Revelation 21, 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. God, I pray that our hearts will be receptive to what you have for us today. I pray that, Lord, may our minds be able to focus on uh, what you have uh, today. We pray for your servant, Pastor Aaron, even as he brings a message to us. Uh, the Lord, would you use him? Um, uh, and may he just speak boldly of what you have laid uh, in his heart, O oh God. And Lord, I pray that even out of this word, uh, that uh, it will be able to bear fruit as we apply it in our everyday life. We thank you and we pray this in your mighty name. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Um, Hey, I just want to start off today by celebrating um, our district church staff team. Can we celebrate um, them? They have worked so hard, uh, Pastor Amy and Pastor Kevin. We've got, hey, if you're on, if you're on district church staff, you've got to put your hand up high. We've got Savannah right here. Um, I see Pastor Brian in the back, Clara back here, Jensen and Elliot, and I know Luke's back there and so many others, but uh, there's Crystal right there, Minister Crystal. Thank you. Um, it's hard to see with the lights, but um, anyways, they have uh, just worked so hard this year to help care for us, to help us love, think, and act more like Jesus, and so just grateful for them. It's, I'm so privileged to be able to serve with such a gifted um, and committed team, and I know we all are blessed uh, by their service, so thank you to our staff and all you've invested in 2023. Um, I want to welcome all the children uh, who are joining us today, it's always good to have you guys hanging with us. Last week I closed the message saying that we are all in Adam by birth, but we are not all in Christ. The teaching of the Bible is that we are in Christ by faith. In other words, you're not automatically born into Christ. You're automatically born into your sinful nature, a nature that is oriented towards self rather than towards God. That's what we mean when we say in Adam. 
We don't just commit sins, but by our very own nature, we're prone to wonder. We are sinners by our own nature. Romans uh, chapter 5 verse 1 says that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him, through Jesus, we have obtained this grace in which we now stand. And so grace and peace are given to those not who are in Adam, but to those who are in Christ. And so the question to be reflecting on this Advent season is the question, am I in Christ? Am I in Christ? Where, where do I stand in terms of my relationship with God? Have I placed my faith in his sufficient work for me? Have I confessed my self-orientation and relied on his sovereign grace? It's an important question because it, the answer to that question determines your posture towards Christmas, towards the coming of God. Is this something that you observe at a distance or that you kind of just go through as a tradition or is it a personal experience because of the reality of you knowing that you are in Christ? I've entitled today's message, New Creation and the Coming of God. And I want to talk to you about the second coming of God that is described all throughout Scripture and is prophesied by Jesus himself. How many of you know that he is returning to this earth again one day? And it describes that in Revelation 21. It describes that in Isaiah 65, which we'll get into today. And it's a picture of Jesus returning to make all things new. And the art that we have for our image today is from Christina in our church. And you can see here how the hands of God are holding the new creation. How the stream, there's a stream of water flowing right through the middle. You see the fruit growing on the vine and olive trees growing, the mountains in the background, and the lamb at the center. And underneath at the bottom, you'll see that they're the, they're the thorns from the crown of Jesus. And then you see the skeleton of the snake from Genesis 3 with the nails that were used on Jesus at the cross going into his head. It, the art is a reminder that God's creation happens over and above judgment. Jesus has come to judge and ultimately destroy the works of the devil. And he began that work 2,000 years ago when he first inaugurated the kingdom of God, and he has now given us authority as his people over the works of the enemy. He has given us authority to establish his church and to advance his kingdom. And so we see signs of the kingdom breaking into our lives, breaking into our church. That's when we celebrate what God's done in our church in 2023. We're celebrating signs of the kingdom. People that have come to faith, people who have surrendered to the lordship of Jesus, people who have experienced miraculous healing, people who have experienced reconciliation in their marriages, people who have experienced racial healing from, uh, from decades or even centuries of tension, that God is making all things new. We celebrate even physical healing. And Jesus teaches us to pray for this, to pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we pray into the situations that are going on in our life. And just as your pastor, I know that many of you have walked through a challenging 2023. 
Some of you have experienced loss in your family, unexpected loss in your family. Some of you have gone through very difficult things career-wise or in school. Some of you have encountered some difficult diagnoses in this year. Some of you have struggled with anxiety or depression this last year in, in a way that maybe you have never experienced before. And so, and so we're reminded as we come together as a church that we have real fears, that there are real, there's real suffering that's going on in our life. We're reminded that if it's not going on in your own life, just turn on the news and you're reminded of what's going on in the war um, in the Middle East as well as in the Ukraine and other places. And so we live in this in-between time between the first coming of Christ and between the second coming of Christ. And even though we see glimpses of the kingdom and we celebrate that, as my spiritual mom from Boston used to say, the devil is busy. The devil is, is busy. And so that's why we take prayer seriously. That's why we take service seriously. That's why we take generosity seriously. Because through our prayers and actions, we are taking authority over the works of the enemy. Because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And so even in the midst of the miracles we see, we still long for the day when Christ returns to set all things right. Not just some things, but, but all things right. And Revelation 21 gives us a picture of what this looks like. And I, and I want to start with the last verse that we heard read first, verse 8. Because it's the hardest to swallow, particularly in this cultural moment. You heard um, Amy read the scripture and just like end it on verse 8. It's like, woo, that's heavy. Let me read it again just for those of you who missed it. It says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Welcome to church, children, right? You know, it's like, I, was, I thought about just stopping at verse 7, but you know, I was like, no, that, that's, we've got to talk about real things. And, and we can't just skip over certain passages. The Bible talks about there being two types of death that we can experience. The first death is physical death here on earth. That's something that we're all going to face unless Jesus comes back before then. But then there's a second death the Bible talks about, which is a spiritual death. This is when we experience permanent separation from God. But the Bible teaches that this doesn't have to happen to everyone. Uh, those who do experience this second death are placed in, in what is called here a fiery lake of burning sulfur. Burning sulfur um, is also known as brimstone. The King James Version calls it um, uh, fire and brimstone. Have you ever heard a preacher describe that way? Fire, they're a fire and brimstone preacher. They take the Bible and it's like they beat it over your head, right? This is not a great strategy to influence people, right? Fear, you can get people to do certain things through fear, but it's not the way that God has ordained us to lead people, right? Um, we have to, we have to be, be aware of that. And yet what I find is that in our critiques of the methodology of how some people have handled scriptures like this, we have lost the biblical message that is in the midst of that. And the biblical message is that the judgment of God is one of the most dominant themes throughout Scripture. Israel and the surrounding nations are continually judged 
for their idolatry. It's, an, it's actually in almost every chapter of the Bible. It's why it's important for you to read through the Bible, even to read through the Old Testament, to be able to wrestle with these different parts of Scripture. But it's in almost every chapter, the theme of the judgment of God, about how God is anguished at Israel's disobedience. And, and rather than just dismissing these passages and thinking that the God of the Old Testament is somehow different than the God of the New Testament, we have to, and don't miss this, we have to then hear the gospel message of the New Testament about how God keeps his standards high while coming down low. How God keeps his standards high while coming down low. And how does he do that? He does it through Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, mercy triumphs over judgment. How? Because Jesus takes on the judgment that we deserve. He's like, I will take the prison sentence that you deserve. That was actually uh, the sentence that was actually given to you. I'll be judged for you. I'll serve the time that you should have served. It's like, it's like for the kids listening right here. It's like when you get in trouble with your parents and you're like, if you're a teenager, you get grounded. If you're a kid, you probably get time out or like your favorite toy taken away from you, right? And it's like your innocent sister steps in and says, I'll give up my toy instead, right? There still has to be a penalty because there was still disobedience, but she takes on that penalty instead of you. And that's what Jesus does for us. And it's why we have to acknowledge that we're in trouble, that we're actually in deep trouble. Because if you don't think that you are in trouble, then you will not see your need for Jesus as a savior. Maybe as a good teacher to be inspired by and to follow his example, but not as savior, which is how we remember him on this Christmas, that he came to save the world from its sins. And here in Revelation 21, we see that there are several groups of people who don't think they're in trouble, who don't respond to the clear and loving invitation of God. Those who reject that invitation and as a consequence are separated from God. And the first group are the cowardly. And cowards are those who fear persecution so badly that they choose safety and self over Christ. So when they're made fun of by their friends for being a Christian, they deny their faith in order to be accepted. And the list goes on, unbelieving, vile, sexually immoral, uh, those who practice magic arts and idolaters. I defined those longer in our online version. Um, this doesn't, it doesn't sound very loving, does it? To how, how could, and I don't know if you've ever thought this, I've definitely thought this, but how could a loving God send people to a fiery lake of burning sulfur to experience the second death? That sounds cruel. It sounds like anything but loving. But I think that question actually reveals that our starting place is coming from the wrong starting place. You know, remember when people would always come at come ask Jesus, usually the religious leaders, they would always have a brilliant question to ask Jesus. And he would always let them know in a loving way, but a direct way, that they're actually 
coming at it from a very human perspective, that they were actually asking the question the wrong way. You remember that with Jesus? A lot of times how he taught parables and how he would help them see the deeper truth than they could articulate with their question. And so I think our trouble when we say, how could God do this, is that our starting place is thinking that we have certain rights, that we deserve certain things from God, and that we are taught to first claim those rights before God. But we have to understand, as we talked about last week, that there is no one righteous, not even one. And so when we understand what we, the, the sermon last week, then we realize that God doesn't send anyone to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. We send ourselves there through our many thoughts, through our many behaviors. And the reality is, is that all these adjectives describe each of us, idolaters, sexually immoral, cowardly. We are all in Adam. And the thing that separates the two groups, those who are separated from God and those who are with God for eternity, are those who are in Christ. And the whole story of the Bible is that the only way for you to be in Christ is not to be born in a certain place or to be a certain age or a certain race or a certain socioeconomic status. The only way to be in Christ is through faith. It is to receive the grace and forgiveness of God. And that invitation is extended to every single one of you. The invitation is to trust in what was already been accomplished for you on the cross. And so the real question we should each be asking is, is how, how do all of us not end up there? Like that's where we deserve and it's not because of who God is. God, the scripture says, is slow to anger and abounding in love. It's because of what we have done or left undone. And so we have to get to the place where we say the same words that Abraham Lincoln said in his famous second inaugural address at the very end when he quoted the psalmist who said, The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Who am I to question the judgments of the Lord from my own limited human perspective? And so I have to accept the fact that I am in Adam. And when I have the revelation that evil runs through every human heart, then, then I become over, overwhelmed with thanksgiving at the mercy of God. It is the love of God that invites me into his presence. It's why we get a little bit crazy when we worship sometimes. When we, dance. we like to dance here at District Church, if you didn't notice. You saw the flags waving and the kids jumping around. and we, we get crazy because we're reflecting on what Christ has done for us. Right? There's just something, something about the name. It's like nothing. Nothing I can explain, there's just something, something about the name Jesus, Jesus. Help me out. There's just something, something about the name, it's like nothing. Nothing I can explain, there's just something, something about the name Jesus. 
Jesus. We get crazy. We, get, we, 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 we go nuts. We shout. We, we clap when we think about the love of God. <laughs> when we think of where we could have been. The mercy and the grace of God. That's, that's one of the reasons we begin the new year as a church and we take everyone through what we call 21 days of prayer and fasting. It's where we get up each morning on Zoom. Uh, we start uh, 6.45, 7 o'clock to seek the Lord. It, it's where we, we give up a meal each day, usually lunch, to remind us of our hunger for God. And we don't do this because we think God's going to love us anymore the more we fast or the more we pray. No, we do it because we get so easily distracted by the cares of this world. And so when we lock into the new year, what we're, what we're saying to God is we want to we orient our entire lives around you. We, we want to seek your presence first. We want to be aware that you're all around us. And so our question is, what's on your heart this year, God? Like, what are you up to in 2024? How do I need to align my life to your purposes, right? And, and I need to do that in community with other people. Right? Because prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And if left to my own, I would do about three days really well and then I'd give up. But when I'm in community with others and I'm reminded that I'm not alone and that others share the same value and there's a whole community of people who are at different stages, some just exploring what it means to have a relationship with God, others who are new at having a relationship with God, others who have walked with God for decades, spiritual mothers and fathers, there's just a whole group of people. I'm reminded that there's others who are living right here in this capital city who are trying to seek first the kingdom, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, knowing that all these things, all these things are all the things we usually put first, all these things will be added. So that's what we're going to do in the new year, and I invite you to, to participate with us. We're going to uh, kick it off on January 8th, and we're going to spend 21 days just seeking the Lord in the new year. Is anybody ready for that? Yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it because, I mean, we're really growing as a church in this, Right? And, and I'm excited. So, so get your, get your eat, eat, eat on this, this month because um, it's, it's going to be a season of, of prayer and fasting. You know, when we read difficult passages like chapter 21, verse 8, we're saying, thank you, God, for rescuing me from the eternal fire and instead putting a fire within my own heart. A fire within my soul. Thank you for the passion that you've given me. And, and let me burn with the desire for others to know and experience this same love that I have come to know. You know, the book of Revelation is actually like one big thank you from the saints, from the people of God. Who are say, saying, thank you for delivering me from the sting of death. That's what the, the forgiveness of sins does. Right? It, it frees me from the sting of the second death. Why? Because death is a result of sin. That was a point from the other weeks. Death is a result of sin. And so it, even, it frees me from the fear of the second death, but it actually frees me when I have a revelation of God's love for me. It frees me from a fear of the first death. Right? Because I know my first death, my physical death, won't lead to a second death. Right? And so this enables me to stand firm even when I'm being made fun of in the workplace or at school. Or when I'm 
being seriously persecuted or even killed for my faith as many people in the world are experiencing. You're saying, I will never stop proclaiming my faith in Jesus. This is my new identity. My identity is not in what you think of me. But I, I can't just hold this in because I'm living now in the reality of the coming of God, of the second coming of God. And that's the picture we get here. Verse one, he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there was no longer any sea. This vision of the new heavens and new earth, uh, you can read about it in the second half of Isaiah 65, where the former things will not be remembered. Jerusalem will be restored. There won't be the sound of weeping and crying in the streets. There won't be infants who live just a few days. The people that build the houses will actually have enough money to live in them. The people that plant the gardens will actually have enough money to buy that food at the grocery store. There's a vision of peace. The wolf and the lamb lie down together. And it says here in verse 1 of Revelation 21 that there was no longer any sea. It's like, what's that about? Like, the sea is kind of beautiful. Like, I want a house on the sea. What's that about? Well, the sea is actually a dangerous place. It's actually a place of disorder. It's never still. It's not meant to be a place that people live. And yet we see in Revelation that it's the place where Satan lives. In, in Revelation 13, 1, Satan, who's called the beast, is seen on the shore of the sea. And so this vision that John gets here in Revelation, there's several things that he mentions that are no more. And the sea is no more. The, 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 the place where Satan resides is no more. The sea is gone. He says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Has anybody here ever been to Jerusalem? Raise your hand. Okay, a lot of people have been to Jerusalem. Beautiful place. Amy leads a trip every spring there with folks in our church. But there's so much history and it's just pregnant with conflict. Our hearts go out to, to, to those who are being affected uh, by the war right now. But it's just pregnant. Even in a time of relative peace, when you go to a place like the Temple Mount, you just see... Uh, like, it's just a lot going on in that small space right in the heart of Jerusalem. You've got uh, the temple, the temple, the old temple, which is the holiest place in Judaism. And then you've got the third holiest place in Islam, the Al-Aqsa Mosque, built on top of the most holy place in Judaism. And then you've got, like, a few blocks down the road where Jesus was crucified, buried, and resurrected. So three of the major world religions are happening within a few square blocks. And it helped when you understand how deep this history goes, even all the way back to Genesis, to Isaac and Ishmael, you realize that, that the world is a lot more complex than we think it is. It goes back very far. And what we see here, though, in Revelation 21 is that we see that God has to bring the peace and the justice. Government has a very important role to play, a God-ordained role. Government's to do two things. It's to promote, to restrain evil and to promote justice. It's to restrain evil and promote justice. And so policies do matter. They can, they can save lives. We can do things to promote justice. Countries can promote justice. But we have to remember that the testimony of Scripture is that God ultimately brings justice. Proverbs 29 says this, Many seek an audience with a ruler. That seems to describe D.C., right? 
Many, that's like the whole lobbying industry is built on that. Many seek an audience with a ruler, but justice comes from the Lord. Justice comes from the Lord. And we see in the New Testament that God's plan and desire is for justice to be expressed and advanced through his church. It's, one, it's why it's one of our core values as a church. And yet we have to remember, as hard as we work and as much as we serve and as sacrificially as we give and as many people in our church who, who work hard and work their way up to the highest levels of government, justice will never fully come through our work. God must bring it because the government, it says in Isaiah, will be upon his shoulders. And here in Revelation 21, he promises us that he will bring it to completion when he returns again. He will bring it to completion. And this is the good news, right? This is the good news because God offers a vision of justice that is much deeper than what can be captured in the highest courts of the land today. God has a deeper vision of justice than can be on any 2024 political platform from any candidate or party. And God has a deeper vision of justice than any billionaire philanthropist can achieve in their lifetime. He says, I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Heaven is coming down to earth. It's not us trying to get to God. It's him coming down to us as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. You know, some people wonder why the church makes a big deal out of marriage. It's like, why, why do we care who anybody marries, right? But it, one of the reasons is because when God wanted to use a metaphor that described his love for his people, he, he used the metaphor of a, of a love that a husband has for his wife. Marriage is so powerful that Paul describes it in Ephesians 5 as a mystery. It's so powerful that two people who are so different can come together in this relational covenant and experience this oneness. He calls it a mystery. And so, of course, the enemy wants to come in and destroy marriages. Because if he destroys a marriage, he'll destroy a family. And if he destroys a family, he'll help destroy a church. And if he destroys a church, he'll help destroy a community. And if he destroys a community, he'll start helping destroy a city. And so that's why we as a church care about helping you find the right partner. It's why we help support people through our counseling ministry. We now have nine counselors on our team. We, we want to help you prepare and help strengthen your marriage. We want to help offer training to help enrich your marriage. We want to help connect people with married couple life groups to help you, you, you know that marriage is God's idea and that you're not alone. And, and marriage certainly is not for everyone. In fact, Paul was single. Jesus was single. You know, um, there's a lot of folks in our church that are single, and, and God uses that. And yet, many of you I know long to be married. And you're reminded of that even in this season. And yet, that longing that God has put in your heart even is an opportunity to know the love of God for you even more. And so it says here that the bride, the bride is the new Jerusalem coming back beautifully dressed for her husband. Pure, not unfaithful like she's described in the Old Testament in books like Hosea. But we see that the people of God, the church in the New Testament is the bride of Christ. And, and God is coming back and he's looking for a church without spot or wrinkle. One that's beautifully dressed for the Lord. And so I have to be reminded, like Jesus is not coming back for my business. 
Jesus is not coming back for the many nonprofits that we start. Jesus is not coming back for my 401k. He's coming back for his church. And he's not coming back for like a church building. He's looking for a people who are set apart. It says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be their God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He did it before and he'll do it again. Jesus comes to live among us in the midst of our fears, in the midst of your doubts, in the midst of your loneliness, in the midst of your questions, in the midst of your guilt and your shame. He pursues you and he comes and meets you right where you are. Oh, the love of God that would pursue us. He doesn't require us to scale the heights to reach him. He comes to us and he doesn't like send a delegate or a deputy or an assistant to represent him because he doesn't have time to go to the meeting. No, God himself comes. He comes and he comes in all his fullness, the Shekinah glory of God. He doesn't just come, he brings his whole glory with him. The Shekinah, the presence of God comes to us. And when that presence comes, when the person of God comes, there's several effects to his coming. It says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There's no need for Kleenex in heaven. I hope there's no allergies in heaven because I'm always using Kleenex for that. It says there's no more death because death is the result of sin. And we know there's no, no sin in heaven. There's no more mourning. There's no more heavy depression or anxiety, right? There's no more pain. Anybody experiencing chronic pain? Isn't that good news that there's no more pain for the old order has passed away. The curse of Genesis 3 has been reversed. The pain of childbearing, the, the abuse of power, the struggle and strain of the workplace, the weariness of making ends meet, even death itself will pass away because death will be swallowed up once and for all in victory. That's good news. Verse 5, it says, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Not like some things, but he's making everything new. The Bible begins in a garden with God's creation where he makes all things new. And the Bible ends in a city where he makes all things new. We get to make some things new, right? Hopefully, hopefully we get to make a lot of things new in our lifetime, right? But, but we, we long for that day when he's going to set all things right. He said to me, it is done. Verse 6, it is done. It reminds me of what Jesus said on the cross. He says, it is finished, right? His, the purpose of his first coming, it is finished. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I am. Echoing to Exodus, I am. Before creation of the world, I am. After, I am. I am the beginning and the end. I existed before anything existed. And he says, this is my vocation. To the thirsty, he says, I will give water without cost from the springs of the water of life. There is a river whose stream makes glad the city of our God, the psalmist says. And this river helps quench the thirst of all who are thirsty. There's no admission fee. Isaiah uh, 55 says it this way. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. What a promise that there's a full supply. 
that there's a free supply. Any of you who know what it's like to be poor, any of you who know what it's like to really literally depend on others to get through the day, this is good news that God supplies the hookup. He says, you got nothing. He says, I got you. Come, all you who are thirsty, come and drink. Yeah, that's right. That's worth celebrating. Thank you. I need some help. I need some help. Come on. We're coming in for a landing. Verse 7, those who are victorious will inherit all this. All this. I will be their God and they will be my children. In the Bible, it is those who have faith and believe in Christ who are considered children of God. Yes, we are all made in the image of God. We are all of infinite worth. We all have uh, dignity. We all have gifts and value. But the label children of God is assigned in Scripture to those who are followers of Jesus, who have joined the family of God. And it's an open invitation to all who are thirsty. It's an open invitation. But as, as, as the old saying goes, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. So it's a free invitation to drink, but you have to make that decision to, to, to drink of the well, of the living water that never goes dry. And he says, those who are victorious will inherit all this, meaning all the benefits, all the effects. No more crying, no more pain, no more mourning, no more kids dying young, no more death. And then the end of the chapter, verse 23, says, the city does not need the sun, this is the new Jerusalem that's coming out of heaven, the heavenly city, does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light. Whew. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light. And the lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Have any of you ever been to one of those all-inclusive resorts? Okay, I went to one for the first time in a while. Most of you have been. You're just not raising your hand. Okay, so... <laughs> I went to one the first time in a while last summer, and they put this, like, wristband on you. And, and it's amazing because you don't have to carry your wallet or your keys or anything. You don't have to carry food with you or anything. And it, it gets you into your room. It gets you into any bar to get any drink to any restaurant that's on the resort. Uh, if you want to go get a massage, just put it on my room. Like you just, and, and you just get to run free. I see the New Jerusalem as a place where, where you just get to be free like that, right? There's no need for security guards. There's no need for like a safety team. There's no leadership covenants to sign. There's no need for background checks. There's no need for statements on human sexuality and racial justice that need to be made. There's no long financial policies. There's no need for audits. There's no need for lawyers. Sorry, guys. There's no need for policymakers. There's no need for doctors, so many of the functions of society and even of the church cease to exist. There's no checks, there's no need for checks or balances on power because there's no hierarchy where people abuse their power. And, and because, you know, so much of what we have to do right now in this city is write up policies and procedures and train people because sin exists in the world. And so heads up, some of you are going to be out of a job. Like, like even some, some roles in the church, like outreach and missions, like I just don't see a need for it. 
planting churches, alleviating poverty, pursuing justice in the name of Jesus. No, Jesus has come and he will make all things new. And so there's some things that we get to keep on doing. There's some functions of the church uh, and of the home that we will be doing in this life and in the life to come. It doesn't mean it's any more important right now than all the other ministry teams. It's just the reality that in heaven, there's still going to be a prayer team. There's still going to be a worship team, right? I, I bet there's going to be a hospitality team because there's going to be so many people to welcome the multitudes who are coming in. Come on in. Because what, what are we going to be doing for all eternity? He's gathering us. God is a gathering God. He's going to gather all of those before the throne who are going to cry out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy is the one who wrote my name when I didn't deserve it in the lamb's book of life. It's pure freedom. It's pure worship. And it says the honor of the nations is there. The honor of the nations will be brought into the kingdom of God. People from every nation, tribe, people and color worshiping before the God. So, so a multicultural kingdom is, is part of the eternal kingdom, which is why it's great to experience that even here on earth. Is anybody excited about the coming of God? Right? I, I, I don't know about you, but I'm excited. I'm excited in the good news of this season, the good news of this Advent season is that when you know where you stand with God, when you have assurance that you are a child of God, then you can live so free here on this earth. Your identity doesn't have to be so wrapped up in what other people think of you. What, it, it, your identity doesn't have to be wrapped up in what whatever family member thinks of you that you're stepping into the next couple weeks. Your identity doesn't have to be in what your supervisor says about you in your year in review. Your identity doesn't have to be wrapped up in what your, your semester grades are this year. No, my identity is not in what group uh, accepts me or doesn't accept me. No, I know where I am heading. I know the end of the story. The devil is defeated and Christ reigns for all eternity. Amen? Would you all stand? Father God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for helping us struggle with your truth. God, we confess that, that we resist all talk about the judgment of God because it just, it doesn't make sense to us. And yet when you begin to show us your heart and you begin to help us see our story within your grand story, we realize that, that even though we all deserve to be judged, we understand the significance of Jesus, you coming into this earth to take away the sins of the world. And so God, I pray that as we prepare to even go from this place, that the hope of this Christmas story would be like a fire burning up in our our, our bones and our soul, we'd be weary of holding it in. God, thank you for the opportunity you've given us to bear witness of the gospel message. God, I pray for anybody that's in here today that doesn't know you as a personal savior. We pray that today, before you leave this place, you would come down and meet with one of our prayer counselors and let them lead you through a prayer of salvation so that you can have assurance of the second coming of God and where you stand. 
God, we pray for anybody that's in here that's experiencing sickness, that's needing breakthrough, that's needing healing in any way, relational healing. God, we pray um, as this altar remains open, as we prepare to leave this place, we pray that your ministry would continue. God, we give you all the glory for what you've done in 2023, and we expect even greater things for 2024. We pray it now in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit. And everybody together said, amen and amen. Let's give the Lord some praise. We thank you, God. Can we thank our worship, our dance team, our worship team um, for ministering to us today? Can we thank our prayer team, our kids ministry team, all the different ministry teams in the church? We're so grateful for you guys. I hope that you guys will be able to join us next Sunday on Christmas Eve, 10 a.m., one service. If we haven't met you, come hang out in our Connection Center. Uh, we'd love to meet you um, and give you a gift and, and invite you to a newcomer's dinner in the new year. Love you guys. We'll see you soon.